So welcome to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast, sponsored as always by Access Communications and thanks to our supporting partner 3X Logic. Also, now my guest this week is extremely well known within the Retail Risk community, especially here in the UK and across Europe. Andy Martin is Retail Logistics Expert at Hickvision UK and Ireland. However, Andy has over 30 years retail experience, senior management roles across supply, operations, loss prevention uh, in Morrison's, Dixon stores and HMV retail also. Now, 2014 saw Andy move vendor side, joining the very fabulous Axis and led their retail business development function across Northern Europe. Uh, Andy recently joined the equally fabulous Hickvision uh, around 12 months ago, and we'll talk to him about his current role in a moment. Andy's a regular keynote speaker and industry thought leader and provided insights on a variety of forums and events over the years. So, Andy, welcome. Great to have you on as my guest. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, before we get into your varied career, um, and I know before we came on air that there was some musical memorabilia on the wall behind you, but 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 young young Martin uh, in his short trousers peering out of the out of the window. What 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 did you want to do as a career? What was the intended route, Andy? Well, well, like like most people, it was probably music or sport. But um, you soon realise that that's for the very very elite. Um, but as a result of, um, so I, I was uh, quite a serious track and field athlete, believe it or not, um, in the in the late mid to late seventies. Um, and as a result of that, I, I sort of veered then towards the police cadets and the police force, which gave me the opportunity to carry on with uh, with my sport and what have you. And I quite fancied that. Um, so I was in the police uh, initially for nine years. Um, and then I, um, so that, I suppose that was an unintended consequence of an intended career. Uh, and then I, uh, I decided that public service wasn't for me for a number of reasons, really. I, I, I didn't particularly enjoy it, if I'm being honest, um, and, uh, and, and made my way out into to Dixon's, um, who were, um, I, well, I, I thought I would just become a sort of policeman in a security role and, and nothing could have prepared me for Dr. Tony Burns Howler was leading that function at the time. It was very innovative and I'm, I'm always grateful for that. And, and so you literally just, you thought, okay, I've done my time in the police. And, and I think probably at that point, police or military experience was almost the number one requirement, wasn't it? To move across into that function. So was it literally submit the CV, I'm coming out of the force and away you went. Yeah, it was really. I was, I was doing, I was in the CID for the last few years, and I was in drug squad and things like that. And there was um, a sort of greater intensity around being firearms trained and what have you. And that was just absolutely not for me. I had two young kids at the time, and um, I, I think I just thought, you know what? Let's just see what the outside world has to offer. Um, and I put my CV in, and the first question, of course, that they asked as a twenty-six-year-old detective was are you really sure you want to leave? Or I, I think they thought that something behind the scenes was going on, but I, I just did want a change of career. And uh, thankfully they took me at face value and, and that's how it all came about. Yeah, because I guess the might have almost expected what's wrong with him? Why is he trying yeah. to get out? Because so many people try to get... So, I mean, you did, you know, don't take this the wrong way, you know, a vast amount of decades, dare we say, of experience <laughs> in retail. Just just talk, talk us briefly through that, that retail journey. Well, it was quite varied, actually. So Dixon's obviously my first foray into retail. 
as I say, Tony Burns Howler was the head of security at the time, was very innovative. So we were very operational uh, and, and in fact tied very closely as well to the finance teams. And in the late 80s, early 90s, that was quite innovative and quite different. Um, and he, he gave us a real commercial awareness that I wasn't particularly expecting. So as you rightly say, it was almost a, a prerequisite that you would be from the forces or something like that. But in actual fact, nothing could have um, prepared me for how, commercial, how commercially facing the role was. Um, and I'm really grateful to him for that because then when I went on and moved to the likes of HMV and Morrison's afterwards, um, then obviously I was able to use that experience. And I've always really thought of myself more as a retailer than a, a loss prevention person, if you like. Um, uh, and I've already always wanted to sort of align myself to the main financial and operational goals rather than uh, rather than sort of squiddle away in the in the security and, and loss prevention field. And I've always found most satisfaction from that, really. That, that's what sort of gets to me. Yeah, and I guess, you know, you, know, you moved vendor side as it were, um, I think 2014 or so, but, um, from my side looking in although you've gone vendor side you've definitely still got you've you've got at least a dipped retail hat on if not a half and half because you've had and correct me if i'm wrong but i've very much seen you as having an interface role where half retailer half vendor and you yeah, kind of well, have a foot in both i mean was that by design or is that just how they fell in yeah, that, that's right. As you know, I went to Axis first of all, um, and Axis have got a very proactive um, sort of business development and end user facing function. Um, and partnership was very much part of their core, uh, you know, their core working and, and their core, the core of their success. Um, so being able to sort of sit on the outside a little bit and, and see loss prevention and retail from a slightly through a slightly different lens. Um, and also, I suppose, be able to um, attend to some of the frustrations I've had in the past when we've been dealing with security suppliers and and often it's the retailer that that creates that frustration because we sometimes demand too much for too little um there's always pressure on costs and and all the rest of it so I think um at first it was a little bit of a I, I fancy having a go at this and again it was a slightly more commercial role in some respects but it was very much driven by the fact that I thought do you know what I think this can be done better and the partnerships can be stronger um, and uh, yeah, and, and I've enjoyed doing that. I've enjoyed working on that basis. And so, if you like, fast forward to today, you're at Hick Vision, um, a, a brand you know everybody will almost certainly be familiar with. But talk to me about your your day to day now. What takes up the the bulk of your time? I think am I right to say you're still in that half and half role? Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, very much so. So my, my, my key focus, my core focus is on end users, um, uh, in, individuals obviously I've worked with and, and built up uh, relationships with through the years, uh, and also businesses, and, and I suppose trying to wide, widen that stakeholder base as well, uh, so that I spend a lot of time talking to end users, uh, but equally also educating our security integrators and, and other partners, because um, I think it's it's not natural always for them to understand that just because something's good technology doesn't mean it, it operationally it's uh, it's an effective and valuable solution. So I suppose I spend a lot of my time sort of almost turning the technology on its head and saying, well, you know that is that is it, but it's a black and white piece of technology. And for retailers, for example, I usually just pose the question: Can it streamline a process or remove a process? Can it identify a risk and give you the ability to respond to it early? 
um, or can it help me serve my customer better? And, and it's slightly simplifying it, but really if, if those three things are not present, then there's no value statement. No. So I sort of work with the end users that way. I work internally with our Hikvision developers as well to say, well, um, you know, that's a great piece of tech, but this is, this is how it would really drive value. So you're developing the product, hopefully developing and educating the end users and also uh, the channel partners and the integrators. So uh, it's, it's really satisfying, actually. Yeah, quite a very well. And you mentioned the tech there. You know, can you give us any, you know, what, what new tech's coming online? What, you know, what projects are you working on at the minute that you can share with us? Or is there some exciting new bit of tech being rolled out? You know, what, what's the... What, what, what's the cool bit going on in the middle of the pie? I think I think for us, the excitement is the development of Hike Central, which is obviously our main software platform. Um, and what we've been able to achieve with, with that is obviously it's a video management platform, essentially. But we've looked at it as what I suppose a data in and a data out platform. So um, obviously we've got uh, things like AI um, and other analytics. And if you like, they produce data. So that's a that's a sensor or a camera um, within a scene saying uh, something's happening that you might be interested in. That presents some data and allows you to respond to that in real time or, or forensically by analyzing how that happens. So that's the data out piece. But the data in piece is the thing that we've really developed over the last 12, 18 months. And that is all by almost saying, well, we've got a camera. We know where that camera is. So we've got a place for it. We've got a opportunity to synchronize time. So we've got also a universally synchronized time. Um, so what you can actually do is you can, if you can pick data up from, your, uh, from the retail businesses to say, this event happened at this particular time, can we now immediately map that to a piece of video? That's been really powerful. And we've created, uh, as you know, because we, we won an award for it last year, we've, we've created a pick accuracy fresh pick accuracy solution for grocery retailers. And that really is taking their pick data and then analyzing what happened at the time, if there's any discrepancies. Um, and we're also looking at things like automated dock management in distribution centers. Um, there's all, all sorts of other um, AI um, opportunities as well with this behavioral AI, um, the, uh, this traditional analytics. So I think taking that platform first approach and saying, right, how can we give the broadest value to the widest uh, amount of stakeholders is is the real magic and and its connectivity with other it things like headsets and all that kind of thing so it it really does bring the business to life if it's used well and certainly you know if you're if you're starting to go down a, a path of being able to bring technology to bear to improve pick accuracy i mean that's just something you know there's not a retailer you know on the planet that's not going to be interested in that conversation i mean you know way back when i remember pick accuracy you know, the only way to check it was for somebody to unpack the container that had been picked almost to check the pick accuracy. It was very, very labor intensive. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. And, and the other key thing, Paul, is it, it, it's the area, I suppose, that where people default to as a cause because it's, it is so hard to check. So when something goes wrong, it's automatically thought, well, it must be a it must be a pick problem. It must be a problem that occurred at source. And of course, what tends to happen then is it makes it difficult to investigate any other causes. So, so what the, what this does is it gives you some validation at that point of pick, and then it allows you to start to look at other factors that may have caused it, and and, and often come up with answers that you weren't expected. So, so that's been a real success. Yeah, I mean, I can a whole raft of, of you know my time in retail, everything from 
stores being told not to check things when they came in through the back door and you just accept it en masse to only find out two years later that all those discrepancies were actually being introduced in transit because of a crime gang that had infiltrated this very large retail business. I mean, just a million and one things. If you can start to button that down at every process, then, yeah. you know, massively, massively, uh, you know, appealing for retailers. Now, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what's going on and what's coming online, is this really where you see the future for Hick? Is this your sort of roadmap, if you like, for the next couple of years? It, it's that using that central point to analyze the data. Are we going to see people like yourselves becoming more data businesses first that just happen to provide great cameras on the side? Is, is that where we think the business is going? I, I think so. I, I mean, it's, it's um, there's a couple of areas, I suppose. I, I still think there's some real untapped value in some of the retail analytics, the people counting, the queue management, all those things that I suppose retailers were traditionally trying to provide, uh, or sorry, manufacturers were tra traditionally trying to provide for retailers. Uh, there's still some value in those, but, and I think the real value with, with that kind of data is that it gives you the opportunity to have an insight into your environment and respond to it, if you like. So I think that's where the real value is, rather than it just being a set of numbers. Because um, we all know that, that I suppose as a retailer, if I'm investing in something, I need to, everything's very, very quick fire, as you know, it's very emotional business, you're doing well one minute, you're not doing so well the minute. I suppose that the key to me is, can I can I do, or can my, my store managers do something in real time from the video and the alerts that you provide to me? And then obviously, the great thing is that if you can then respond to it in real time, the forensic data becomes more useful then because you say, well, we're giving you a tool to do the job and then we're measuring what that looks like as well so you've got sort of the best of both worlds so i think the data that we can provide from video analytics will always do that and it will do it around risk as well um, and, and some of the ai uh, around risk um, self-checkouts and, and theft detection what have you is quite exciting and you're aware of a lot of it and, and so will, so will the people who are, uh, are listening in uh, so that's really exciting um, and i think the other side of it like i say is this being able to i mean when you think of things like you know, mobile transactions and uh, and all the things that are changing in this sort of frictionless and, and more dynamic um, customer environment, if you like, being able to map video to that data instantly and not having to have cameras in fixed places all the time. I think that's that's an area where it, it can really come to life. Yeah, without yeah certainly, um, you, you know, interesting to see, you know, numerous companies that maybe would have just, nothing wrong with just providing the kit, but definitely make that transition transition from sort of providing kit to more of a strategic partner, getting way more embedded in the retail business, getting the retailers data and I guess providing a more in-depth service. Hence the reason we're seeing people like you with, you know, lots of retail experience straddling that, uh, that, that gap, if you like. So yeah, I, I can see that, that transition. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, some of the successes that you've had in retail and maybe some 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 bits that you've got but before i come to that um we are as always going to take a quick 30 second break and hear from our sponsors for every type of business the power of a data-driven security video management system designed to give you total control anywhere anytime 3x logic so welcome back to this week's edition of the retail risk podcast i am of course still talking to andy martin from hit vision now, Andy, um, great insight into 
your day to day uh, in terms of what's going on from a business perspective. But um, I'm keen just to maybe go off at a slight tangent. And you've operated, you know, at the, at the, the top and influenced retail and vendor businesses. What what would you say are your top tips for getting things done? Because one of the questions we often hear asked and particularly at retail risk conferences around the world is how do people get their agenda heard and understood and you've operated at a senior level at numerous retailers and at numerous vendor organizations if i was to put you on the spot what's your top tip for anybody listening to this going i'm struggling to get my my voice heard i'm struggling to get my project to gain traction what's your approach what do you do well, I think the first thing is that you've, you've got to put your you've got to put some context around what you do and what you want to achieve, because it's obviously the most important thing in the world to us. But I think you've got to check the landscape and contextualize that for others so that you're not just coming in, beating your drum all the time and that you're, you're sort of saying, right, I get this. I also understand why some people don't find it exciting. Mm-hmm. So I've got to find a way of dressing that and, and, and making it exciting. And I suppose that's where the retailer in me, if you like, I I always like to sort of turn my argument on its head completely and say, right, no, this is all about sales. It's all about having things on display that aren't, isn't security equipment. It should be clothing in a retail fashion store, for example, or whatever. Um, So how how do I now, how do I now dress that? How do I now make it something that's worthy and make it something that's, um, uh, that, that's important to, to others. So I, I think that's really important because it's very easy to drive your own expertise into people. Um, but I think making them understand and being credible uh, and being, I suppose, being linked up to those wider and broader financial and commercial o- objectives of your business is the key thing. Um, you've got to be a good coordinator and you've got to be able to create internal and external partnerships that are meaningful. Um, and sometimes it's with people who, who you don't particularly get on with or but you've just got to find a way and you, you've got sometimes uh, bite your lip um, and choose, <laughs> choose you know the battles that you're prepared to lose to win the war if you like mm. um, so I think that's always been my approach and I think the other thing that you learn is that for most people um, if you present yourself well and you give them a nudge every now and again about what's needed and why they will come along that journey with you it, it's it's rare that you you somebody is just uh, completely and utterly sort of um, obstructive. Uh, so I think it's it, sometimes sometimes it's a long battle. Sometimes it's a very very easy win. But I think uh, I think it's about being credible and, like I say, about about making sure that what you you want to achieve is presented in the co- in context of the whole business, not just your own objectives. Yeah, and interesting. You, know, you talk about the sort of the credibility piece there. Just just leading on, it's kind of a, a, a crossover question, but. I'm guessing the qualities of a of a leader a leader from when you came out of the police and started through to today have changed. But what what do you think are the you know the qualities today, if you like, that that you need to 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 bring forward? I think um, I think being a good communicator is is absolutely key, um, and and having a little bit also also not being frightened to understand what you're good at and what you're not so good at um, and what your if you like you know where, where your strengths and weaknesses are and, and 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 not be too as a leader not be too shy to 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 have a team that's 
better than you, if you like, uh, you know, and accept that, that um, you might be the right person to coordinate and, and mobilize uh, and communicate on behalf of that team, but you're probably not the smartest person in the team. And, um, and I've always been a great believer that that, that was the case. And HMV was a really good example where we, we took on chartered accountants, we took on a lot of retail managers at the time, which was quite different to what a lot of people were doing um and we we basically said you know take it away tell us tell us what we should be doing you know um and it doesn't make you any less worthy as a leader the fact that uh, you're not the the brightest of the bunch you know you but you do have something about you i suppose that that um that people recognize and and uh, and they go with you um, I, I think you're absolutely spot on but it, I, I, I smile there because I think there's still a few egos in the industry that that wouldn't possibly admit there was anybody around them that that knew more. But I think they're getting less and less, aren't they? It is that you know collective approach that that seems to be winning. Uh, yeah, and I, to be honest, if I'm honest, I think we're all guilty of that. I can remember I can remember a time when I first got promoted to to the sort of uh, head of role at, at HMV when I was probably a bit insufferable for six or nine months because <laughs> I thought I'd made it. Do you know? And and, uh, and you look back and and it doesn't take you long to realise that it, it, it's it's not about that, you know. And um, and I think when people recognise it that in you, they actually become to they become to realise that it's a strength. Yeah. Um, so that would be my advice, really, because, um, yeah, I've, I've not I've not liked myself particularly now. And again, I've thought, crikey, why did you do that? And there is a bit of ego in all of us. And you've got to tame that and you've just got to be uh, a bit kinder and, uh, and, and listen, you know, listen to people. Well, it's obviously work because you've got terrific longevity and, uh, and, and lots of people speak very highly of you. I know you still sought to uh, as a sounding board. Now, um, just one final question, if you like, but leaning on your experience. Retail's been through, you know, a, a turbulent few years. Uh, what, what's your take? Are you, are you excited for the future of retail? What sort of changes do you think are on the horizon? Go, get, get, get the crystal ball out there. And, yeah, and I mean, I think, it, I think it's, 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 it's very exciting in, in many, many ways. But also, um, I can understand why people are a little bit nervous around it. So I think there's a, there's a few different areas I think in which it's it's developing so um let's take let's take um if we can a, a co-op store for example um a, a sort of convenience plus retail if you like um if you look at a typical um co-op store now they've got a div delivery operation so they've got omnichannel immediate omnichannel and and uh, and I suppose uh, fast convenience going on they've got probably a Hermes collection and drop-off point they um, they provide that service for retailers like John Lewis, for example. So on that basis, you can see it, that that's now developed into a, com a sort of convenient service hub, if you like, for want of a better. So I think there's some developments in that area. And you can also look at maybe some missed opportunities for people like post office and what have you, where you think, well, you know, so that's, that's interesting. We then see a retailer like Next who makes some incredibly good calls um infuriatingly good calls to be honest because you know they're picking up the right brands at the right time and they're totally reformatting their stores and their experience when you when you shop with them and i'm always impressed by how they've remained uh, relevant and, and current if you like and again we can look without without naming them at some of the more uh, well-known department stores that are struggling at the moment to do that uh, to find the identity and find where they go so i think they're two really encouraging bits in in terms of bricks and mortar 
Um, I'm glad to see as well, and we need to find a way of bringing it into these forums, um, the, the development of some really, really good independent retailing. And I, and I think for the, for the health of the high street, we might be asking ourselves as experienced, I suppose, um, multinational retailers, you know, should we prov be providing some free advice to them about our experience? Should we, should, you know, should we be workshopping that and inviting uh, independent people to, to listen to and, and, and uh, for free, you know, just for the health of the high street so we can have some really good, healthy, uh, independent, <coughs> excuse me, retailing going on, you know, so how do, we, how do we bring that and how do we encourage it? And how do we almost look at the, those as, a, as an, an entity and a body of, as a strong um, retail force because they certainly are um, and then I think I think there's still and next again a good example of this there's still a place for the really good omni-channel retailer where people feel a lot more confident about buying something online when they've also got the service of a bricks and mortar uh, estate to, to back, back them up um, so that I suppose that is in terms of the high street uh, a bit of diversity as well. Banks are changing the way that they're thinking, unfortunately closing a lot, but where they're not closing them, they're changing the face of that uh, into more of a, a sort of experience and a leisure uh, sort of uh, experience on the high street. Um, and, uh, and we're also seeing some, some new entrants onto those high streets, so a, a lot more to do with well-being and health and pastimes. And, you know, you've got people like Lululemon, Athletica, who are doing the, with, with the yoga studios and so I'm quite excited. I think that space is not going to go away. It's not going to be demolished. So it's for, it's for our retail sort of property agents and landlords um, and retailers uh, to get their heads together um, and, and work together to, to keep it buoyant and, and I suppose spread the love a little bit and just accept that it's not going to be full of the same, every city is not going to be full of the same faces, but that, that might not be a bad thing, you know. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think if... Yeah, there was a, somebody in the UK, Mary Portis, was a sort of retail celebrity, if you like, a while ago, and she was tasked with rejuvenating the high street. But you almost wonder whether that project was started too early. You know, yeah. it's kind of it's, it's ready now, isn't it, for yeah. for that kind of initiative. And I think that's a, a genius idea. You're right. There's very little threat to be offering independent some advice on how to trade successfully. In fact, possibly some of these retailers could be providing the infrastructure or the vendors providing the technology absolutely it rejuvenates everything for the greater good because if you've got you know people i think you know you alluded to this are looking for destinations aren't they it's not just retailing it's an experience and yeah. you know yeah. a full high street is a is an experience for everybody yeah and, and if there's a major retailer you're next to uh, if you like three or four really good well thought through independent retail concepts and you're not unhappy about that it's much no. better than it being you know I, I don't want to i don't want to decry the charity the retail charity you know it's got a massive place but there are a lot of places where you look at it and it's very very hard to find some um you know some really some really new retailing innovation and i think that's the way to do it to encourage independence uh, um like you say whether it's providing infrastructure certainly providing advice um, uh, you know, seconding people maybe even into those channels through it might be the business improvement districts or something that yeah. pull, pull these things together. Who knows? But I think certainly we need to think like that because what what we don't want is we don't want high streets that are are empty and derelict and tired and and lacking energy. Um, and where and where the cities have done that well, they've they've done really well. Um, and uh, 
the bigger cities actually was quite interesting through the COVID period. They really, really struggled, mm. um, uh, you know, more so than, you, than your secondary sort of towns. So uh, we definitely need to put some thought into it. And uh, rather than just let people take up pop-up stores for short-term um, fulfilment for the landlord or whatever, let's actually think about how that can work on a more general scale and a more sustainable scale. Yeah, great, great shot. I'll nominate you to be our next guru, Andy, because we've got some of the best and most innovative retailers on the planet headquartered Absolutely. in the UK. So, uh, uh, and with with pseudo celebrities like you at the helm, then uh, then I think there's a there's, there's a great future. Get the guitar out. I just think I think it's the way forward. It's the way forward. <laughs> we can just have you replicated with a sort of projection on high streets up and down yeah. the country. Yeah. If, Robbie, if they can bring Elvis back, then uh, then Robbie what, Robertson. What do you think yeah, we yeah. can do with somebody that's still alive? Um, Andy, always an absolute uh, pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us this week. Really interesting uh, what's going on with Hickvision and really interesting industry insight as well. But uh, for now, Andy, thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much. See you later.